It's been a year since Lupin Zero graced our screens. Now, we all know that, in that time, Lupin himself has not grown up. But have we? Have our opinions changed on this series? I doubt it, but let's find out. Joining us tonight are the return of the Dilf Hunter, Emma. Hello! Guillaume, Thief of Hearts. <laughs> Little Shaman Girl, Natalie. Yay, what's up? The Oh Booey Boy, Drew. Howdy. And me, Chris, a Super Zero. <laughs> and yes, welcome back to Sideburns and Cigarettes, a Loop on the Third podcast. Among. Yes. <laughs> a podcast discussing the adventures of a monkey face of a monkey faced thief, his friends, and their many adventures. We will be covering most of the animated and live action entries in the Lupin III franchise in mostly chronological order. Thank you, Chris. I was say a podcast no about a monkey. I, I, I didn't say I'm like, you know, welcome to Cyber the Cigarettes. A monkey hold on a minute. A monkey face podcast. A monkey face podcast. His thieves and their many friends. Um <laughs> So yes, we are back again tonight, and this is once again another very exciting episode because we have the entire Cyburns and Cigarettes gang, including our man in Switzerland, Guillaume. Guillaume, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. It's uh, 2 a.m. and I've drank too much coffee. <laughs> oh, so you're literally me when we recorded the Jigen episode because uh, I think I had like three cups of coffee as we were doing that. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling your pain. <laughs> it's coursing through your veins. Ooh. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm particularly glad to have uh, Guillaume here on the show tonight because he was unable to join us for both of our retrospectives. So we will be getting his fresh, unfiltered opinion, uncensored yes. opinion on Lupin Zero. You, so, you, said, you said retrospectives. Are you talking about the episodes themselves or? Yeah, because those are technically retrospectives because we, yeah. we, we did we did little chunks of them. Yeah. You know, as you can tell from the opening of this episode, my brain's not 100% here. So, woo, let's see how this goes. On this episode of Sideburns and Cigarettes, we look back at one of the most unexpected entries in the franchise, a story about a young monkey-faced thief and a scrappy little gunslinger. Tonight, we revisit... Lupin Zero, one year later. A young monkey-faced thief, his friend, and their six adventures. <laughs> That's probably a better way to put it. The initial air date was December 16th, 2022. It concluded airing, I believe it was January 13th, 2023. Uh, the series was directed by Daisuke Sako. Uh, the series composition was by Ichiro Okochi. Episodes were written by Hiroki Uchida, who wrote episode two. Ichiro Okochi, who wrote episodes 1, 3, 5, and 6, and Ko Yoneyama, who wrote episode 4. We're going to do our standard roundtable discussion, and since he was unable to join previously, Guillaume, how do you feel about Lupin Zero? 
one year after its initial airing. Oh, so many things, Drew. And to be honest, I will not say I'll try to be short because everyone who says that inevitably fails to be concise. Uh, So from the get-go, I will say that I divided my thoughts in two parts. And I took a page from Natalie's book and I actually took notes. Oh, good man. So I'll try to read my own writing, which is quite the challenge. (laughs) The first part, uh, before getting into, you know, the uh, actual merits of the series in itself, I wanted to explore what it meant for us, for the audience, and for the franchise as a whole. First of all, you said the word unexpected, something that we also said during our live-action Jigen review. We are truly living... Uh, in terms of uh, how the Lupin the Third franchise is doing unexpected times. Like, before we got the Lupin Zero announcement on Twitter, we got the news of the uh, Cat's Eye CGI crossover. We were all very concerned. Uh, and <laughs> mostly we were right to be concerned because it turned out to be quite mediocre. Mm-hmm. Um, then, later on, we had that live-action Jigen movie announcement turned out to be a great surprise. We loved it. And now we have a kabuki uh, theater play, um, mm-hmm. you know, traditional Japanese theater uh, of Lupin the Third, set in the Edo period, as if the, the franchise was exploring many different ways, many different mediums and tones. And it can say different things about the franchise, like maybe they are trying to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks uh, and what doesn't. Or maybe it just means that they've been expanding their brand to new collaborators. So the announcement of Lupin Zero was both unexpected and at the same time was the most familiar um, type of production among all those uh, different attempts and different, you know, propositions. Like it was the return of Studio Telecom. So we love them ever since the Koike movies and part four and five. It was a prequel set in a time that we never explored before, uh, inspired by Monkey Punch's uh, manga chapters that, you know, take place in that same, um, you know, time for Lupin, you know, when he was still in middle school. And interestingly enough, apart from the Cat's Eye crossover, most of those new productions of the unexpected period of Lupin do not feature the regular voice cast. Mm. And most of them do not feature uh, Yuji Ono music for understandable reasons, because at the time, Yuji Ono had health problems. He's doing better now. So we were cut off from familiar uh, aspects from our, you know, from our friends in, in some way. But at the same time, it meant that the franchise could be, you know, could grow beyond that cast. It could grow um, beyond that type of music. It could harken back to other uh, musical uh, legacies like Takeo Yamashita's, and that's the case for Lupin Zero, where the new composer, you know, pays a truly beautiful and intelligent tribute to Yamashita's part one compositions. And it gives the opportunity to uh, younger voice actors to try uh, their hand at those iconic roles, which for the longest time, were kind of a, you know, kind of a exclusive property. So, yeah, that was like a breath of fresh air, and I think we all wanted that. 
And at the same time, it was rewarding for us because, first of all, we summoned Lupin Zero out of existence. Indeed. Uh, I mean, you, you four. Uh, and it was one of those moments where we had some form of synergy with the fandom, with our usual friends. Uh, Lee and I, we instantly recognized, for example, uh, the uh, Mafia boss from the first episode as, you know, a, a cheeky tribute to uh, TMS founder and producer Fujioka. Uh, to the point, Japanese fans on Twitter thought we were quite knowledgeable so you know uh, the senpais noticed us i guess i believe the word used was frightening yes we were frightening so <laughs> we were we were all inspiring in our knowledge of lupin us little white boys and um now i'd like to go through the series um, you know proper because true i i haven't uh, had the occasion to uh uh, give my thoughts on it. I wanted to write an article for Loop, for Lupin Central, and then I was, you know, taken by other projects. For me, uh, and I'm trying to read my notes, I apologize in advance. Uh, for me, it's the perfect blend of all those influences that we loved and that we wanted to see more of. Part one, the manga, there's I mean, there's countless manga tributes, there's countless expressions and mannerisms that are directly from part one, and even a bit of Cagliostro, of course, but, you know, in a reasonable amount, you know, it's not that kind of, I remember Cagliostro moment. And to a degree, it's kind of a, it's kind of an antithesis, and it proves that Lupin, again, no pun intended, well, some intended, is still a bit green. And mm. he has, you know, he... This is a learning curve for him. This is truly uh, kind of an in initiation arc for him and Jigen as well. I love the fact that Lupin and Jigen's relationship is the core, in a way, of the franchise. And, you know, their dynamic uh, becomes the core of what will eventually become the gang. And I've realized that it's been the case for most attempts at telling, you know, Lupin's origin somewhere. You know, we had. Um, first Contact, episode zero in 2002. We had the Fujiko series in 2012. And each time, it's a different encounter. It's a different, you know, retelling. But the Jigen-Lupin relationship is at the core of it because they are both tonal opposites. Like, not total, tonal. They have different tones, the both of them. But at the same time, they need each other to ground themselves and to free themselves as well. Uh, Lupin is a freeing factor, but at the same time, you need Jigen to, you know, uh, keep him to his ground. And the whole uh, narrative of Lupin being torn between his father, Lupin II, wanting him to uh, go the straight and narrow, and uh, crazy old coot Arsene Lupin wanting him to be the new uh, gentleman thief, and finally Lupin finding his own, his third way, uh, being a thief, yes, but for the thrill of it which is what Lupin is all about and what Jigen, you know, finds by the contact of Lupin. The fact that we got um, part four and part five uh, designs, the most fluid animation, 2D animation in the franchise, like in ages. I just want us to remember in, I think it was the last episode, Lupin and his dad's uh, chase in the mansion with all the traps. I've mm. never seen such fluid, like near 24 images per second 
at least the feeling of it, uh, Looney Tunes quality style mm. of animation. And it's all in the service of a story. It never feels, you know, um, superfluous. And of course, we, between all the gags and all, we have the historical context. I will not dwell on it too much, but it's a time of revolution. It's a mm. time of all wounds, the Second World War wounds. Uh, you know, um, nagging a bit at the uh, at the American army as well, the American mm. occupation. Um, we have a lot of characters who want to start a revolution. The main quote unquote antagonist, you know, Gaucho, being you know the the main threat. And at the same time, of course, you have the tragedy that needs to be there for Lupin to have a formative experience. And that's why I keep saying that he's still green because. He thinks he has it all figured out. He's Lupin the Third. He will get the girl who's uh, way too old for him, but you know he doesn't care. But he completely ignores the um, the adult relationship between Yoko, who's a wonderful tragic character, and Gaucho, and he does not realize the consequences of his meddling until it's too late. And it doesn't dwell too much on that. The next scene after that, which is the last scene of the series is Lupin finally managing to smoke like an adult because he lost his innocence while still smiling with Jigen on top of the rooftop, which is, you know, um, Japanese uh, schoolboys' number one meeting point, you, you all know. So there is that sense of melancholy at the end that harkens back to Masaki Osumi's take on part one. So we really have an evolution uh, that feels both organic and rewarding. And overall, that's, I think, that's what it feels. Lupin Zero mm. is extremely rewarding because the the themes are coherent. The um, You have your episodic adventures, but at the same time, you see what it will all lead to. And the proof of it is that in the first episode, the uh, climax happens on the boat. Last episode, it, you know, mm. ends on as well. And so it goes full circle. Things have been learned, but things are yet to be learned. And I know we will go back on the matter at hand, whether Lupin Zero should, you know, get a second season or a continuation of some sort. I personally think it, it doesn't need to because it's a perfectly, you know, a concise, self-contained story, and we get the point. We don't really need to see forward because, well, what's put forward mostly is part one, and the only gap would be the high school years. And um, there are high school chapters in the Loop on the Fun manga. They're not my favorite, to be honest. So there might be things to explore, but I think we got the gist of it. We got enough of what we truly wanted, which is, Lupin's uh, coming of age. And that would be my uh, final thoughts. Well said. Thank you. Oh, also, it's very good to have Albert there because it's, <laughs> you know, it, in a way, he's part of the canon, even though it's um, it's very hard to make a sensible timeline in Lupin and, you know, canon is for fools. But it's <laughs> funny to have him as that angelic yet evil little brat with a pogo stick and uh, <laughs> very you know very skillful with a knife so yeah he's gonna go far that kid <laughs> can you say that again about canon for people in the back please hey 
people in the back, listen to me. Canon is for fools. <laughs> You'll thank me later. Embrace chaos. Love it. Love it. <laughs> uh, just go with the flow, man. That's what's that's yeah. the fun of this series. Just just ride with it. See where it goes. Don't try to make sense of it. I mean, you can if you want to for the fun of it, but just like, you know, that's that's never been the fun in it for me, to be honest. The fun for me is always I mean, just see her tried. It mm. did. <laughs> they tried. They tried and trying. failed. <laughs> Boy, was it trying. I, I appreciate its efforts. I, I don't I don't consider part five like super consequential. Like, you know, it's once again, it's its own little thing. Parts four, five, and six, their own little universe like you know, their own little pocket thing. That's the fun thing about Lupine. They're, like, sure, there's pockets of canon, there's there's entries that like do acknowledge canon to a degree, like pick and choose stuff. That's it. It's it's like it's kind of yeah. choose your own adventure. You exactly. Pick, you pick what you like. That's the fun of it. That's why it's one of the least intimidating series to kind of get into. You can just kind of you can almost hop in anywhere. There's like only a few exceptions where it wouldn't be a good idea to come in first. You know. Mm-hmm. However, though, yep. if you want some ideas on where to jump in, we got you covered. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plug. And then and then there's me who likes to do um, curated um, Lupin mm-hmm. as then curate this to your style. I say this because I have a very dear friend who is um, part of the kink community, but also like really, really loves James Bond. So I'm like, ooh, I know what I'm going to put together for you to get you into Lupin. So, yeah. You can curate it to people's needs. Do you like Wacky Lupin? Here's part two. Do you like the 70s and acid trips? Let's start with Mamo. <laughs> As you said, Natalie, uh, ages ago, I think it was like the beginning of uh, your tenure in the podcast, Lupin is a charcuterie board. Uh, <laughs> sh- you're French. It's a charcuterie board. <laughs> it's a charcuterie board, my lady. <laughs> Yes, yes. Oh, excuse me, you're French Swiss, not French. You speak French though. <laughs> it's a chacaterie. Chacaterie. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. Lupin is a chuck a a stupid Americans. It's a chucketary board. Chuck Chuck and cheese board. I was not prepared for that. Charcuterie board. Charcuterie board. That's charcuterie's a butt sucking bitch. <laughs> well, I actually have a charbooby board, but that's another story. What? <laughs> it's a it's a charcuterie board in the shape of boobs. Oh, oh I, I, it's it's, it's boobalicious. Yeah. I'm, sure I'm not sure what I was expecting. Sorry, <laughs> but no. Um, jokes aside, yeah, it's Lupin is anything. Lupin has a lot of aspects to it. And I, and when I get to my retrospective, because I'm going to be quoting a dear friend of ours, um, there's so many things that you can do with Lupin. It's astounding. So, yeah. there's. What do you mean when you get to your retrospective? Oh, You're on cue, Natalie. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Natalie, how, how do you feel about Lupin Zero one year later? Okay, look, I don't have much to say personally on my aspects. Um, I have very little to say on my own aspects of, of it because... Um, my feelings towards it haven't changed um, since a year ago. I think what I'm just going to say on on aspect of my part, especially because I'm sorry, Guillaume, but I was in and out of what you said, mainly because um, of what I'm going to say coming up, because I'm going to be 
for the record, I'm going to be quoting a dear friend of the podcast who's also my best friend, uh, Lucy, because hmm. she wrote a fabulous thesis on um, queer expression through fan fiction starring Lupin the Third, And she has a lot of like really great takes on what Lupin Zero is, and I just want to quote her on that. But on my personal perspective, um, I did a lot of rewatching of part two <laughs> recently, just um, in between life things. And then coming back to Lupin Zero to get ready for the podcast, um, it's just very astounding to me how the direction of the franchise was very much like, hey, we're going to do Lupin, but we're going to do Muppet Baby Lupin. And it's, and it's you know, um, it's an origin story, whether or not you believe it canon or not. Um, it's a... Our friend of the family, uh, Lucy, calls it more of an AU, and and I totally agree with that. It's an AU of a possibility of the possibilities of um, how Lupin and Jigen met, and it's it's very fascinating to me because um, one thing I do like with prequels is, especially if it's a very adult centered story, as in you have characters in a world that is very incredible, like whether it's a crime universe or like me who likes reading Outlander. It's these. It's this Highlander man who has fought in wars and is a smuggler, and you know he really digs this young woman from the future because she looks she looks great. <laughs> I bring that up because um, there was a really good prequel to Outlander called Virgins, which is about Jamie and his brother in law before they um, they go into war in France. And it you know when you read stories like that, you have these young men who fully expect war to be to be great and you're going to get glory but you don't know that war is horrifying that you lose people you see things you don't want to see and it changes you it makes you grow up fast in that instant and that's what Lupin Zero is to me in the sense that you have these kids who do have foots in the doors of adult life with Lupin being a spoiled little rich kid who has a legacy to uphold because his grandfather wants him to uphold that legacy, but his father wants him to be on the straight and narrow. And then you have Jigen, who unfortunately had no choice. His dad literally just took this kid and took him to war zones. Like, where is CPS when you need them? But, you know, his he's forced to to really grow up fast. This kid is forced to grow up fast and do adult things as a child, which isn't what you're supposed to do. And this is where um, I really do see it as like a, a, a coming of age story and a loss of innocence story, almost akin to Diana Gabaldon's prequel, The Outlander Virgins, because you see these aspects within the characters, like in the first episode when they're hearing Yoko sing and they're just blushing and being so cute. <laughs> and that's how you know they're young boys because grown-ass Lupin and Jigen would not be looking at a woman singing blushing. They'd just be like, oh, okay, you know, we, we've seen this before. This is great. No, young boys. Oh, man, this is hot. <laughs> so I already said my piece i love this um i the other thing i do like as a historian is that we get the other side of the um u.s occupation of japan and what what it did look like because uh news alert americans it was not great um no matter how much our school system tells us we did so great for the japanese <laughs> and also of course i love the fact that they bring in um arsene lupin because i'm a huge arsene lupin fan 
and you know they bring in the hollow needle which chris i am so glad you finally read the hollow needle (laughs) Uh, i wish i would read it sooner it's so freaking good it is and it's funny because um the part three of the netflix lupon series came out and there's so many references to the hollow needle and to um the death of lupon the third of arson lupon which is a story further further out in the maurice leblanc tellings but um Oh no, I was so glad they brought back Arsene Lupin as crazy and maniacal as he is. Yeah. Albert, oh my god, I was so glad they brought back Albert, fucking twink little blonde boy who gets shot. Again. <laughs> like, again, how dare they do my boy dirty. Oh, and no, now no. This... He got shot for the first time. Oh yeah, well. You know, you know, it, you know it had to start somewhere. I, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Shots were fired on the little I, boy. I have to mention Literally. that. I find it very funny. It almost strikes me as Ichiro Okochi like saw what happened in part six and was like, uh, uh-uh. mm-hmm. <laughs> no, my boy would have a bulletproof vest. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And also, <laughs> Retroactively. <laughs> and also him reading Baudelaire's Fleur de Mal, which made me laugh so hard because I read that book of poetry in college and it's so <laughs> horny on Maine. That, it like, is. Oh God, Albert, what the fuck? no wonder you became gay and i say that as a gay person myself (laughs) but now this is where natalie's gonna shut up and just quote my dear friend um lucy basically she said that this series is basically an au wish fulfillment that it really fits into this current trope of like azarafel and crawley or even like blackbeard and um steed bonnet of the whole like fancy rich man and wet rabbit rabbit as she called it you know um you have the lupon who's a rich kid and jigen the scruffy young boy who is like the newest exciting thing out there and it makes a lot of sense in a way for lupon to take jigen's heart as a way for him to pull jigen out of that world that he's in with his with his dad and you can read it as a love story in either a friendly way, a platonic way, or even a romance story. There's also this really deep sense of loss of innocence, this loss of naivete as you're entering into the adult into adulthood. And what is the most prevalent things when you enter adulthood? It's falling in love. And um, you can you could put you can interpret it any way, she says, but it is a love story, and it's a great love story. Um, she also said that she wanted like a mid credit scene <laughs> a la Marvel where like you see like cop Zenigata, maybe younger Fujiko or younger Goemon. Um, but mm. she, but she was like, eh, if they have a season two, whatever it is, what it is. But she I think what she said predominantly, she wants more Mamado Oshi doing Lupin with less dialogue now and more now horror. Now we're talking. <laughs> Yeah, but at the core of it, what she was basically saying is that it is a love story. It's a loss of innocence, entering adulthood, naivete story. And that, um, I'm sorry, I I, I wish I said it more coherently because I had to listen to it as we were recording. But no, I see it. Plus, I love how she mentioned the trope of like the the really fancy man and the grumpy person a la Steed Bonnet and Blackbeard. So yeah, that that trope seems to be very prevalent right now. but yeah that's that's the most i'm gonna say it's a great series um do i personally think it deserves a sequel it does but i don't think it needs one i think that it's good for it to just end it on its own merits and maybe if they decide to bring it back will i watch it yes but i think it's best to end it the way there just give me a part seven where the lupon gang fuck around on in north and south america like i'm tired of them in europe i'm tired of them in asia like 
bring them this way. I don't know. Take them to Florida again. I don't know. Lupin the Third versus Florida Man. <laughs> versus, versus Florida Man and his Publix Chicky Tendy Pub Sub. <laughs> okay, I want to see that. I'm not even from Florida and I love Publix. Like, I love that Chicky Tendy Pub Sub. <laughs> okay, I'm done rambling. All right, so the amazing Chris Godby. How do you feel about Lupin Zero all this year later? <laughs> Um, I still think it's fantastic. I think it's the best thing we've gotten from the franchise since part four, to be honest with you. Mm. Of course, I really, really enjoyed part four for what it was. I admit I was a little cooler on uh, parts five and especially part six than uh, a lot of people seem to be. But, Mm -hmm. you know, as our resident manga scholar, uh, I really appreciated it going back to a uh, short story arc in Monkey Punch's original comics, which, uh, I uh, wrote an entire article for on Lupin Central. <coughs> Let's plug. Um, yeah, I, I have to agree with what uh, with what uh, Guillaume said about about the animation looking great. Uh, like uh, some standouts for me would be like the fight scene inside the club inside the first episode. Mm. I that was so much fun. And again, with the whole Looney Tunes thing in the final episode with uh, Lupin the Third and his father, it's like I can totally see it being like a Chuck Jones or Robert McKimson sort of deal. Maybe for his freeling, especially the bit with the cutouts in the walls. That was, that was beautiful. <laughs> I particularly enjoyed the episodic nature of it. Like there, there was a, there was like an underlying story thread, but it was mostly just, well, like I said, episodic, you know, and it was just, you know, there wasn't like a deconstruction of the characters or what they mean. It was just six, you know, really fun stories, which I mean, like, like there was some, you know, examination of what, you know, Lupin and Jigen mean to each other. And I'm going to be controversial and say that I did not like the whole thing with Lupin still in Jigen's heart. It's just not my, just not how I, how I view those characters. But I also agree that uh, it is a nice parallel to Arsene Lupin stealing uh, Marion Hood's heart. Mm. And uh, I also like the uh, parallel with them quoting the uh, movie that they were watching earlier. Uh, the new characters like a, uh, uh, Shinobu, Yoko, Lupin II, Arsene Lupin, they were all fantastic. Although I will admit, the first time Yoko appeared, I knew she wasn't going to survive. She just seemed like a sacrificial lamb, so to speak. And like, I know it's an overused term, but she got stuff in the fridge at the end. I'm sorry. It's like, I, it's, that was unfortunate. But despite that, I still liked her. Um, my favorite episode was uh, episode three with uh, everybody competing in uh, Arsene Lupin's uh, uh, competition. I thought that was just a blast from beginning to end, especially because it was inspired by one of my favorite young Lupin stories in the manga, the one where Arsene Lupin has died and everybody's fighting over his estate. The part, uh, the throwback to part one with the music I thought was nice. Mm. Really appreciated that. Yeah, I mean, I guess on a scale of one to zero, I would give it five and a half. Oh, come on, that was good. <laughs> we'll give you that. We'll give you that. Just shaking my head. Just... <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, and like, you know, I also do appreciate how the franchise has been making some big swings lately. Mm. You know, I'm mean, like, even if you go back to, uh, say, part five, 
Because like part four, I will say, as much as I enjoyed it, it did kind of play it safe. It was kind of a, a return to form in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. which, you know, not a bad thing. You know, again, I really liked it. And uh, part five, it uh, it really started uh, dissecting these characters and their history and the legacy of the franchise. And I don't think it worked for the most part, but I still appreciate them trying. Mm-hmm. And then part, you know, part six did some uh, attempted to do some novel things. Keyword here being attempt, I guess. Lupin the third, the movie, the first. Um, you know, it brought the F, it brought the series into a whole new uh, medium, essentially. Mm-hmm. Which uh, that was a lot of fun, and then like uh, Guillaume said, we also had the, uh, you know, the Kabuki play, uh, which is untar- uncharted territory, mm. and and like even over on this side of the pond, um, you know, we're getting Monkey Punch's original manga in print again, yep. which, yeah, you know, which is unprecedented. Uh, I'm of course I'm totally stoked for that, but and you know Lupin Zero, it's it's like they're they're doing new and exciting things with it. It may not always work, but at least they're trying, and I really I really appreciate that. And then when it's, it's it's when it is as successful as Lupin Zero is, that's even better. Yeah. So yeah, it's you know it's like Lupin Zero, which has the honor of being my final purchase ever made from Right Stuff. <laughs> the Blu-ray of that was. That's a uh, very yeah. bittersweet. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a fantastic series. Honestly, I I don't recommend it to newcomers. I do think that it's it's a little bit like Cagliostro in that it's more effective if you're from if you're familiar with these characters already. That's uh, fair. Yeah. You know, there's not like a huge barrier for entry, but I think I do think it's it's more effective mm-hmm. if you already know who these people grow up to be. Um, as for getting a, a second season, I would not um, be into that idea at all because I think it's you know it works in these six episodes. That's all it needed. It's not, it's not even a full series length, and it made the most of it out of every episode, even the weakest episode, which I thought was the second one. It's still a good time. I still enjoyed it. You know, they mm. they said what they needed to say. And I'm ready to move on to the next thing. But I would oh, definitely yeah. be revisiting Lupin Zero quite a bit in the future. Mm. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I'm just like severely tempted to um, reread some of the crucial Arsene Lupin novels at, and conjecture with Lupin Zero and then just call it a night. Like that's what my that's what my next attempt of rewatching it would be right now. Thanks for reminding me, Natalie, because I do want to talk about how much I loved Arsene Lupin in this. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> God, he was such a dick. And I loved him so much. Um, I, I'm well, I'm still on par that it isn't Lupin, Arsene Lupin. Like mm. I, I just think it's someone who took up that mantle, kind of like that yeah. one episode of the Wild Thornberries, but you know what? That's just yeah, me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you you and your head cannon ways. Shut up. I like you don't know, I, you don't know me. I do. <laughs> See, like because I feel like the implication that Monkey Punch made, because in the, in the Lupin III manga, every time we see Arsene Lupin in the present, or in this case, the past, he was a far cry from the gentleman thief he used to be. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and like the, the impression I took from that was that he was, you know, he was so successful, and his ego just got out of control. He became mm-hmm. totally hedonistic, and especially at his age, he just didn't care anymore. Mm-hmm. You, know, he, you, know, you know, the, uh, the time of being the gentleman thief had passed. Now exactly. him just do whatever the hell he wants. It's it's literally the whole if I get a terminal illness, I'm going to try meth sort of sort of mentality. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yes. I wouldn't have gone for meth, but man, I've said that before. <laughs> 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 I'm like, you know what? If like an asteroid 
come to the earth. <laughs> like I said, like I'm falling off. Like I'm yeah, falling have, off that day. <laughs> I hear word. I hear word of an asteroid coming. I'll steal a cop's gun. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Hey, it's my property. I pay my taxes for it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, uh, but Guillaume, you were going to say something about Arsene Lupin? Yes, which, which is kind of a general observation that I, I think I forgot to make. I love the fact that it didn't shy away from tough stuff, from uh, the, the mm. brash and... Uh, I'm not going to say politically incorrect because that's a bit too much, too big of a word. But the fact is that they kept old Arsene Lupin as as holy as he is in the original <laughs> manga. They didn't shy away from his uh, truly um, messed up ways. While he still has ethos, you know, he will not shed uh, uh, needless blood. You know, he tr- he put uh, blanks in the gun. Uh, he is still concerned about, you know, the future of Tokyo if it gets bombed in the last episode. He mm. has, he still has some form of code. And at the same time, it's quite coherent with how Japan treated those uh, great literary figures of detective fiction. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the Hollow Needle is, of course, a direct Maurice Leblanc homage, but the whole traps and all feels very much like Edogar Ranpo novel, like. Uh, that novel that was um, translated many times. It comes from... Gold Mask? I think, an in- Sorry? Was it Gold Mask? I was about to mention Gold Mask, but oh, also sorry. a novel... No, no problem. A novel that is not Edgar Rampo's original creation, but he did make a version that will later on inspire Cagliostro, Yureto, The Ghost Tower. And so you have that homage to that Showa era of literature in Japan that I like too, and that's, you know, coherent with the times. And mm-hmm. Lupin and Jigen are fucking brats, and that's wonderful. They smoke, <laughs> they is. swear, they they look at naughty pictures, they have naughty feelings, um, and they're just insufferable, and they don't respect adults. Uh, not even that... Um, Yasuo Otsuka cameo during the, the, the movie screening, <laughs> which is very fun because it's all about guns. And Yasuo Otsuka was a big gun nerd, uh, just like Masaki Osumi. They loved guns for the aesthetic of it, of course, uh, which is something they put into part one. So it's all coherent. And I love the fact that they kept the, the mean, well, maybe not meanness, but nastiness of uh, mm-hmm. some aspects of the manga. They didn't shy away from Roughness, it. perhaps. The roughness, because there's not a lot of modern rough Lupin, truly, right. in that in that regard, in that aspect. So I completely agree with Chris on that regard. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you bring an interesting point as well, because this is a lot rougher and edgier than uh, a lot of more recent Lupin III stuff has. Like, um, you know, for one thing, like, there's actual uncensored nudity in this. Yes, it's been a while! And, and not only that, but like, you know, when Grandpa Arsene yanks out that woman's teeth, it's like, there's nothing sexy about that at all, but they don't shy away from it either. It's like, it's going to sound strange, but I appreciated that. I appreciated how, I mean, I, I guess edgy is probably the correct word, but I don't like the connotations that has, but <laughs> I, I guess roughness is, it, you know, it, it's rougher, it's a bit more grittier, but it's still fun. Yes. You know, like an entire episode about two uh, middle schoolers getting drunk on whiskey should not be as entertaining as it was, but my God, was it, it was a great time. It was so much fun. One of the best episodes, I think. I agree. 
I think it's just so perfect because like again in terms of that fitting of like the loss of innocence sort of thing like yeah totally. um like come on think about yourselves in the first time you snuck a drink before you were allowed to drink and you thought you were super cool like oh, look at me i have a beer mom's not watching <laughs> you know <laughs> i'm also reminded of lupon taking his first drag of a cigarette in the first episode i mean yeah. I <laughs> which um since we mentioned the hollow needle i do feel like this isn't it's only like tangentially related but uh, maybe i shouldn't discuss it here but does anyone else feel like by the end of the story that Raymond is not into Arsene Lupin? Because Who? the uh, uh, Lupin's wife in the Hollow Needle. Oh. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, because like the narrator mentions that she has a very sad look in her eyes the whole time. Mm-hmm. And Lupin seems to be completely oblivious to it. Yeah. I think she is aware of the tragedy that's going to unfold. Exactly. She, she's very Could aware be. of the consequences while Arsene Lupin, that novel, he's in his moment of triumph right before the tragedy that we will not spoil for you readers. Yeah, well, we right. won't spoil it for those who haven't read it, but right. like... I, mean, I, don't know, I, I just kind of felt like, a, you know, Lupin had kind of fallen victim to his own uh, uh, myth, I guess. Basically. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just like, your why wouldn't she love me? I'm Orson Lupin. <laughs> no, that's true. I think the hollow needle is probably the loss of innocence for Arsene Lupin because up until that point, the Arsene Lupin stories have been very tame. Like, you get... There's not a lot of death. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah, there's not a lot of death. There's not a lot of tragedy, and then you get to the Hollow Needle, and it it comes yeah, right it out of it, it goes very badly. Yeah. So. Which I mean, I, I guess it's easy to see why Monkey Punch's version of Arsene Lupin, as well as the one in this series, could have come from that. Yeah. Not to mention it. Yeah. Yep. And eight thirteen, which is um, a novel published uh, um, after the Hollow Needle, not directly after but sometime after i think it's the last adventure of lupin uh before maurice leblanc's uh, passing and in 813 he is is almost a super villain at first you think that he's went the deep end and he he aims for political machinations he still does a few heroic things but he's definitely become more jaded more uh, ambitious but at the same time yeah, darker and sadder. Interesting. I've, 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 I've heard that that story mentioned several times. I, that's probably gonna be the next one to check out. Thank you for that recommendation. Pleasure. Well, I will say this much. Feel free to cut this out if you want. But I feel like the tragedy of uh, the Hollow Needle, much like Part Six, is the fault of Sherlock Holmes. Anyway. <laughs> no, Bravo. Keep, 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 keep that in there. Keep it in there. <laughs> that's kind of a spoiler, though. Beautiful. <laughs> Does this yeah. make anybody want to read The Hollow Needle now? Drew, Emma. <laughs> yeah, I kind of want to read it. Oh, it's so good. It's great. It's it's amazing. It's one of my favorite Arsene Lupin stories. Nice. I mean, I haven't read many, but that's definitely close to the top of the list. It's the best. Arsene Lupin in prison is probably my favorite. Oh, same. Yeah, that, I love that, that one. So, just the fact that Lupin escapes from prison, has lunch at a diner. And then walk back to the prison gates and ask me to let back in. I love that so much. Yeah, basically, it's very much a, hey, uh, can I come back in? What, what did you get out? It's like I was reading that. I'm just like, I see where his grandson gets it now. <laughs> and also, his his method of escape is, uh, it. I feel like it directly influenced uh, the Prison Break episode of Part 4. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, I won't say much more than that, but I definitely saw some parallels. But anyway, this is about Lupin III, specifically Lupin Zero, not about Maurice LeBlanc's original gentleman thief <laughs> emma what do you think of this series a year later <laughs> all right 
So first off, I have notes written. I had notes written and then I like started writing even more and they're like all over my paper with some Italian mixed in there. So um, first, I like what Chris said about um, new things with the series or like regarding the Kabuki play and all that. Like even if it like doesn't land it completely, it's still trying something new. And I think that's really cool. I don't think for any, like a lot of long running series that is as com- like a very common thing. I mean, mm. I think I, I'm thinking of like One Piece, for instance, just got a live action. But otherwise, it's been a pretty much continuous story with like movies and stuff. But I don't know if they've done any like stage plays or anything. There was a, uh, it was a, like a, it was like a one piece on ice thing in Japan recently, apparently. Oh, one piece on ice. Okay. That's funny. <laughs> I gotta say one piece on ice was not a collection of words. I was expecting to hear today. Yeah, no, honest to God. Uh, <laughs> um, it, like I'm thinking of other long running series too. I mean, obviously I'm a fan of the Dragon Ball franchise. They just announced, like, basically Dragon Ball Babies. Their own Lupin Zero. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, wow, the Lupin Zero trend continues. Yeah, maybe they took a page out of Lupin Lupin Zero. They're like, hey, we need a shot in the arm. And a lot of people referred it to that. They're like, hey, maybe this is a shot in the arm the franchise needs. Which is kind of what I know we all felt about Zero. And I am pleased to say that I like it just as much a year later as I did mm. a year prior. It's still very much that breath of fresh air. And I had just as much fun watching it this time around as I did before. And I watched it a couple months ago, too. I think I turned it on just randomly and that's what i also like about it it's only six episodes and they go by quick mm-hmm. um so you can like honestly you can watch it completely in one night it's easy which sometimes that is really nice and i know it doesn't have a dub but if you watch something enough you don't need that because <laughs> mm. so, there have been several times where i'll turn on alcatraz connection in the background Oh, while I'm doing something because I've seen it enough to like be able to know what they're saying, despite it's like being in Japanese. I don't like need to like keep focused on it. I definitely see for C Zero being that for me, mm. actually. Like one that I've watched so much that I can turn it on in the background, like when I'm drawing or something. And in that case, it probably will end up, if not it's like already becoming something of like a comfort show for me part four was definitely a comfort series for me um and continues to be so i watched it really like deeply in the like the deep shit of my divorce and so that helped immensely and i think with lupon i've been trying to find something like that again to like have that comfort blanket feel and zero achieved that for me and i really realized that when i was rewatching it yesterday 
this is definitely something, like I said, that I can turn on and just kind of vegetate and just watch it, but also have an incredible time while watching it. It's so fun. The animation is so great. Was just honestly, before we even got on, uh, when I was making dinner, I was watching through episode six. And I think I watched through that chase scene between Lupin the second Lupin, baby <laughs> Lupin, um, over and over again. And I know when they released that clip on Twitter, I think I watched it before I actually watched the episode because I was at work and I saw the clip on Twitter uh, at lunch and I watched that repeatedly. <laughs> I was like, this is so fun. And it's been so long since we've had animation like that in Lupin, I feel. Like, I, I know we said like Looney Tunes, but the legs, like, spinning always gets me. Like sliding down the stairs, it's ridiculous. The little noises, like ding dong, when the doors are opening and all that, it's really um, entertaining. And yeah, all the facial expressions while Loop on the second is like going through the holes in the wall. Um, speaking of uh, Loop on the second, I'm pleased to say that my crush is still alive and well. Good. <laughs> the return of the Dilf Hunter. <laughs> like, I watched it, I was like, hmm. <laughs> still, still got it. <laughs> That's my husband. Yeah, yeah. I'm up to see my husband. <laughs> <laughs> um, I obviously, I, I love him. I love the addition of him. He's by far my favorite addition to the series, uh, like obviously the yet yeah, made two boys. Um, but the rest are pretty much ones that we really haven't seen. So I love him and I definitely love Shinobu. And I've said this before that I wish, I don't wish for like a sequel to this. I just want like a separate series with Lupin the second yes. Shinobu. Somehow, yes. please. Um, I mean, it pretty much be Lupin III and Fujiko, right? Like, yeah. Yes, I, but I he's older. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's got a beard. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, no, I see your point. Never mind. Carry on. <laughs> it's, and it's an actual Dilf. <laughs> More Shinobu. <laughs> <laughs> More Shinobu. <laughs> um, and speaking of him, too, like I was rewatching this um, in episode three, which is such. Like a cool episode. <laughs> I really yeah. love it. Um, first of all, that... <laughs> oh, she's a jiggler. <laughs> which I was going to say a lot about Mulan. Um, I, I watched her a lot more in episode three once I remembered that it was Lupin second, And really focusing on her knowing that information and just seeing how she interacts with Lupin, how she frequently saves him, and when he is talking about his grandfather and all the expectations of him, and he said, my asshole dad that abandoned me, you get like a beat look of Poulan's face, and then saying like, oh yeah, it's really aggravating and stuff. Like immediate like empathy. And in any situation where there might be danger, 
like Pulan is either watching Lupin or close by and really like picking up on that. Um, I don't know if I just like solely, even after the reveal and after watching it again, I'm not sure if I really focused on like all the micro things that were going on with that character. And it shows that like, yeah, this is somebody that does genuinely care about his child. He just shows it in a weird way, very bizarre way, but the family is bizarre uh, to be <laughs> with. As uh, Jigen says, like, goddamn crazy family. <laughs> I love that line. That was like one of my favorite lines. <laughs> Good job to Ian for his translation on that. Yeah. Damn crazy family. I know we talked about it being, I don't want to say like, yeah, like edgy, whatever, but I wrote nudity in Lupin again. Wow. <laughs> Yay. Hey. Finally. <laughs> yes. No, it's so nice and <laughs> nice for so many reasons, but also it's like it has been so tame um, in the last couple of years and not even just Lupin, but just almost everything in general has just been so tame. So like to see, not just a nudity, but also, yeah, that violence. Um, I was talking about the descendant of Robin Hood just getting absolutely shish kebobbed. <laughs> Rip bozo. <laughs> and I was trying to find, I know I asked you, Drew, to edit the, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> I had that image somewhere with, with like the subtitle under yeah, it. Yeah, I was looking, trying to look for it the other day, but then I like, got distracted with something at work. <laughs> Come on. like. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, um, Grandpa Lupin like ripping the teeth out of the mouth. Was, I remember seeing that for the first time. I'm just like, holy. And it still like kind of got me this mm-hmm. time. I think I even like almost instinctively kind of looked away a little bit. I'm just not very good with violence at all. Though, uh, Marion Hunt getting shish kebab, that was because I just thought of the, I've made a huge mistake. (laughs) (laughs) And just like his fate is so dark. (laughs) And it's so so dark. I think it's it's a little less dark than how uh, Grandpa Arson got that heart in the manga. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> like, I mean, like, I, like, oh, it's, wait. it's more violent than it was in the manga, but it's uh, less dark. Wait, how did he get the heart? I don't know. When his grandson was navigating this house full of traps, oh, uh, yeah. Arsene, Arsene Lupin made him uh, sign a contract. He wouldn't let Lupin III read it. And later, uh, Lupin III runs into a uh, escaped killer named Riggs, at least in the Tokyo Pop version. I'm not sure what his name is in the the Japanese, but and so Lupin gets into a battle with Riggs, and meanwhile we see Grandpa Arson is negotiating something with a uh, old man. Turns out that old man was a was is Riggs's father, and uh, Riggs's father had signed a contract, the same one Lupin III did. Uh, young Lupin kills Riggs, you know, to uh, protect his own life. Actually, I believe uh, he gets skewered on a bunch of spikes, much like Marion Hood does. And it turns out that uh, both contracts said that. In the event of either my death or my son's death, his heart will be given to Arsene Lupin. So, yeah, so Arsene Lupin essentially uh, got Riggs's father to sell his son's heart to him. So, yeah, pretty, pretty twisted stuff. Yeah. Again, in comparison, Lupin Zero's version of Arsene Lupin has a bit more of an ethos. Just a tad. A tad. Barely. <laughs> <laughs> 
the end theme still gives me warm and fuzzy feelings. Oh. Oh God, I love that that ending sequence. I'm like, oh my God. If it wasn't, I know the album of this I think came out like in December. Yeah, but also I think this part two of it came out in January. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. And I know for like a month straight, I just listened to that album. And so I was like, you know, this probably is going to show up in the Spotify rap. I've since gone through multiple eras in music. So, and not Taylor Swift, but. (laughs) (laughs) But I I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a weird little mention on like the Spotify rap. Like, oh, hey, you listen to um, Afro loop on like the instrument, like the vocal version a whole lot. (laughs) Did you, uh. Have you listened to the six-minute version of the end credit song? No. There is a six-minute version of it that's just like the band does like there'll be moments where like he like he does like the the, uh, yeah, the normal yeah. lyrics and the band just jams out. It's euphoric. <laughs> I I just vibe with it. Yeah, no, I'll have to listen to it uh, for sure, and probably just like that would be the only thing I listen to for at least a week straight. So it might still end up on the Spotify Wrap this year. I feel like pointing out that I just now learned that the Lupin Zero soundtrack is on Spotify, so. Hell yeah, it is. There you go. It's going to be on Spotify wrapped. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's on Spotify and I, oh, I, I, know, I pay I for it. Apple Music. Well, no, it's on Spotify and on Apple Music because I pay for Apple Music. So, cause uh, I refuse to associate with Apple. Anyway, you were saying, Emma? Uh, I, like, I know episode two was, like, I think people, like, were least favorable on that, which I, I kind of understand a little bit. I mean, in comparison, it probably was the weakest of the six, but like, then that ending scene in the train is so fun. Mm. <laughs> this is a blast. Uh, and obviously, trains. We know how I feel about trains. <laughs> me, me, train! <laughs> I like trains. I like trains. I like turtles. Um, <laughs> so. I, I really, like, I had just as much fun with that one um, the second time around. I was wondering maybe if I would have felt differently because it was probably the least, like, least well-received episode, uh, so to speak. But I, I think I even had more fun with it this time around. It's still, I, I sincerely hope that we get more entries like this, in this, like, of this caliber. Um, mm. Maybe not a sequel, but just similar like care and thought and little easter eggs in it like chris Mm -hmm. said i'm not sure if this would be something that like a newcomer should go into because i think in order to appreciate it you have to be involved in the series for quite some time and Mm. be able to pick out all the parts from part one that caught like it calls back from or parts of the manga that i like don't even know as well as other people but so you should totally read a certain article in Lupin Central to uh, help put you in on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another shameless plug. Nice, <laughs> nicely done. Thank you. You're welcome. So I, I just and, and like I know there's been like we've had the live action Jigen movie that was great, and mm. the Kabuki play looks so interesting, and like. 
I, I know, like, we, like, dogged on the Cat's Eye movie for its animation, but it was still a good time, and, like, it was a good crossover, and it was better than the Conan ones, in my opinion, so... Mm-hmm. But Zero was, like, on a whole nother level, and it was something that I, again, kind of like the Chigan movie, I went in just, like, kind of disheartened by, and I didn't really have a whole lot of expectations for it, and it just, like, completely blew that out of the water, and I'm even more satisfied with it a year later, because I know sometimes you can be, like, super hype on something, and then your kind of, like, hype on it dies a little bit, and this really hasn't had that experience for me like i said it's going to go down as a comfort series for me i already know what it is and if it isn't already uh it's near and dear to my heart um i just love these two little teenage boys being teenage boys (laughs) except jegan sounds like he's 22 at the very least what cigarettes and killing people as a teenager do to a motherfucker yeah honestly God. Especially since what? The fact that he, he's been doing it since he was a kid. It's like, holy crap, this poor boy yeah. basically went through the equivalent of of, tra- of childhood onset puberty trauma. So... I mean, look, let's be honest here. The kid probably came out of the womb with the pell in his mouth. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. <laughs> his remember, mother smoked. I remember one of the best like Lupin memes, in my opinion, that I've done was the one image where it was like the baby coming out of the womb and I like drew on a hat and it was like baby's already out of the womb for seven minutes and is already fed up with life. <laughs> I mean, there is that line in part one where Jigen says, hmm, I was born grumpy. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I'm surprised, Emma, that when Katie told me and I mentioned it, that it fits this trope, a trope that you actually love, Miss Aziraphale Crawley and um, Our Flag Means Death Lover. Um <laughs> I, like, I almost didn't even see that at first because, like, Jigen wasn't wearing, like, all black, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is in darker clothes than Lupin, let's be real. Yeah, that's true, and doesn't walk like a just giant slut. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> like, the David Tennant, like, hip swing that he does mm-hmm. when he's talking like, Crowley, uh, that'd be one thing. <laughs> But, but legit, like when when I was listening to what Lucy sent me, and she said, "Oh, it's like Steve Bonnet and Edward Teach, and also you know as Zarafel and Crawley," and I'm over here like, "Holy crap! I did not see that." I do love that trope. Oh, me too. Yeah, and in, like like you said about love, it could be romantic love, it could be platonic love, but it was definitely love. It's a love story, and that's why I love mm-hmm. what like Neil Gaiman said about Good Omens. It's a love story at its heart. Depending mm-hmm. on like how you interpret that that love, mm-hmm. um, I mean that one eventually becomes obvious what it is. But for a long time, it was just kind of like it was it was a love story, but it, you could throw your own interpretation into it. And that's the same thing with this series. I feel there is one thing I wanted to discuss. Last thing um, that I've given more thought to, and something that I know Chris has brought up about uh, Yoko. And being fridged. I did agree with that at first. I've changed my mind. So the reason why that is, is that I don't think she's certain. Well, first of all, she was already walking towards the edge and ends up jumping off on her own free will. So I think it would be different if she's like, or let go of her own free will. And I think it would be different if she just slipped off completely. 
but it was her choice to do so. And I think, obviously, Lupin was sad because it's a woman that just committed suicide, basically, which is a very tragic thing to witness. But I think for that, I don't think it was to serve, like, make him sad so much as serve as a lesson, which can be different, I feel. And that's, like, because he goes in basically thinking of this as a movie that he could save her and this is not somebody that really wanted to be saved and that was a lesson that he had to learn and that is a very hard lesson to learn for sure so i i definitely like see where like that is coming from but i know like upon like rewatch that's like kind of and really watching like yoko's development and her motivations like that's kind of like where I came from especially like viewing like Lupin through like the eyes of a teenager and like having to learn those hard lessons so that's like kind of a big change in the past year that I've noticed I can I can see that now that you you know expressed it especially like that like uh, it, it still feels like fridging to me but I yeah. mean I do I do feel like it's it's not really as bad as I made it out to be and yeah I, I totally see where you're coming from like you know, with Lupin having learned that lesson and all that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah, I get it. I can see where you're coming from, though. Like, like it's like, oh, did you, like, she really have to die? Probably not. And, like, yeah, it obviously saw it like that was, like, a first, like, formative, like, person that he cared about that, like, died that way. But having, yeah, really, like, seeing, like, how he thinks of it as, like, a movie was like, oh, hey, here's a hard reality check. <laughs> Mm. yeah i mean i mentioned that when we talked about it and how chris brought up that it was she was refrigerated i did agree with it but i also was okay with it because for a short story and you needed that like that push that thing to like teach lupon hey this is an adult world and it's tragic she had to die and in rewatch seeing the first episode it's set for her you have to really i don't i don't, I don't have to, i'm not trying to say you have to squint to see it but you can see even in the first episode it's set up for her to die um because of the world that she is in the dangerous world that she is in there's only it, it's kind of like how people wanted it, the sopranos to end either he he dies or he continues living the life and he goes deeper and deeper in into the darkness so like i i knew yoko was going to die from the moment she first appeared which I, I admit is probably cynicism on my part. Cause I just like, it was like, you know, we don't see her in the entries where Lupin the third is an adult. So obviously she's going to be killed off to make him sad, which is, you know, what women in refrigerators, you know, right, usually means, right. but, but it, it was handled a lot better than, than that trope usually is. True. And also I think the, the, the importance of the very last scene, which is Lupin and Jigen smoking together and resuming more or less their antics, is proof that the lesson is learned. You know, you have that foreshadowing with uh, Lupin the Second saying, "Well, as a thief, uh, you will be robbed of something, of many things as well in your life." It's a lesson learned, and then you go, um, you go on being Lupin the Third. You you go on. You don't. You know, you don't dwell on that too much. 
if, for example, he carried that kind of memory after that, then it would have been fridging, I agree. And that's why Lupin Zero should not have a sequel, at least not a direct sequel, because there would be the temptation to go back, you know, on Yoko's death. And also, yeah, it was inev- inevitable. And it's also, I feel, very coherent with the revolution aspect of it, you know? Gaucho and her were intertwined. If one dies, the other dies. And that's kind of the fate that many activists who go to extreme lengths for their cause end up as, you know? They end up as martyrs. They end up as self-destructive. So in that respect, I understand why it can... uh, ruffle feathers or rub people the wrong way and I they are completely entitled to that and I I will not, you know, rob you of your opinion, Chris. Not at all. But yeah, I think because of that revolution aspect, it's understandable why she has to die in that way specifically. Hmm. So anyway, you were saying Emma? Yeah. <laughs> no, we keep no, interrupting you. Actually... We're sorry. No, no, I like that because it, it helped develop my like thoughts together more and i appreciate that but that was actually really all i had it's it was awesome a year ago it's awesome now uh it will continue to be awesome and i really hope that they at least do something more with lupon second and uh shinobu and also can we get some fucking merch yeah, please yes, please i mean they did it just announced there's like that little the little uh pot in the little cap that's not good enough no, we need more. I need some figures. <laughs> need some shorts. Need some figures. I need a fucking wall scroll or something. I wanted that little gay ass mug though that they had, like that. The what? <laughs> you said gay ass, and I'm like, wait, what? Saying <laughs> about the gays. <laughs> they had like a little green mug. Yeah, it was like that. <laughs> <laughs> they had like flowers on it and stuff. It was, like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. yeah. That's you meant by gay ass. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, and it's like itty bitty. It's like an espresso mug. <laughs> well, Guillaume would love it because that's all he drinks. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's it. We got the like little plastic standees. Fuck that. I'm a figure. Figure. I mean, I'm not saying I would wear a shirt depicting this show's version of Arsene Lupin, but I'm not saying I wouldn't. <laughs> we know your secret desires. I just, I just want a figure of Twink Boy Albert. That's all I want. That's all I want. On the pogo stick. On the pogo stick. Yeah. And Drew wants a Shinobu body pillow. I was going to joke. I was going to make the joke. Shinobu titty mouse pad, just for the fun of it. Just to, just to say that for you. Just to say that combination want, of words. I want a Yoko. Uh, I want a Yoko titty mouse pad. That's what I want. I mean, especially when she was she buried. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm showing my kinks here. I'm sorry. Uh, I have an idea. An Albert T-shirt, but it's just uh, a white shirt that has like a bullet hole where he was shot. <laughs> <laughs> and you're to blame. Uh, uh. Thank you, John Bon Jovi. <laughs> yeah, bon Jovi. Uh, Drew, what are your thoughts? Well, I didn't really write down much in the way of notes, except for like two things, but I do have a lot of opinions. So I have not fully rewatched Lupin Zero since we did our last uh, episode with Ian. I have watched like an episode or two 
I know I um, watched the first episode a good while back. Uh, Chris here streamed the third episode one night. And I caught that again. But no, I have held off on a rewatch specifically for when we come back to this for a one year retrospective. Because, you know, we did a one year retrospective for part six. Figured it would only be fair to do the same for a Lupin Zero. And I rewatched the first episode earlier this week already with that one episode was like, oh, yeah, the the uh, the magic is still here with this year. I, I know like this is a this is full on. I will admit it. This is a Leo pointing. They did the thing like that. It, it is specifically that moment when Lupin and Jigen arrive on the boat and it just does a hard cut. To Afro Lupin 68, you've got Tavito Nano just like doing those those bare bones, just like it, it, I've always loved Afro Lupin 68 because the lyrics, there's no there's no sense to them. If, if I'm not mistaken, I think it, I, I forgot who wrote the lyrics. I'm kind of talking out of my ass here, but if I remember correctly, they were just given like a list of things to like write a song on and they just wrote those things instead of writing lyrics. I could be wrong, but even if I'm even if I'm wrong, it just has that feel where it's just it's the it's literally just like the pure elements of Lupin just shouted at you, <laughs> which is so perfect for the first series. Just like P thirty eight, Mushing Cries, Lupin the <laughs> Third. It's like all right, I'm in, and just hearing that again, you know, I I, I am kind of anti the uh, the super nostalgia. Super. Oh, they did the thing. They did the thing. I know. I'll give it a little leeway when that thing literally hasn't been used in the franchise for a half a century. You know what I mean? Or like in that case, I'm, I'll be a little more forgiving of myself. But th- just that one moment is pure hype, and it's hard for me to put it into words. It just really captures a spirit of. It captures the spirit of what I love about Lupin. It's that sense of adventure. Forgive my stream of consciousness thing here, but as as I watched further into it, you have the second episode, which isn't is if I had to pick a least favorite out of the bunch, it it would be that one. But even then, in that one, like I was enjoying it, like this is still great. And then the finale with the train happens, and that Afro Lupin sixty eight rendition kicks back in as Jigen whips a belt out of nowhere with like hundreds of bullets around him and unloads his revolver to derail a train. And like it, it, there's a thing I love about Lupin and it's, it's this is a really dumb way to put it, I guess, but it's, it's just Lupin logic, which is like, you've got these grounded, hard boiled, like crime stories, you know, thieves backstabbing, but then you've got just the most Looney Tunes bullshit that will occur in the middle of it. And you just accept it because that's Lupin the Third at like its very essence. It has been since 1967. Exactly. Like th- th- this really does. And I, OK, I'm not going to dog on part six. I said my piece on it. You said your parts on thought six. I did say my parts on thought six. But that being the 50th anniversary series that that airing on the 50th anniversary series i still think lupon zero does laps around it in regards to being a 50th anniversary series by actually hearkening back to the spirit of the source material which it was based on and like it 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 it, it captures that that fun that kind of just complete wackiness 
episode three is a goddamn masterpiece of a Lupin episode. And in that one, you've got I noticed we were struggling for a word to find whether it be edginess or roughness. I, I'm going to go with the word. It has that thorniness that the manga has. Um, the whole series kind of has that. And it, it has that without, you know, the original manga, some chapters of it, as has been discussed by our, our good friend Guillaume here. You know, some things get a little closer and are outright sexual assault. And it, it manages, you know, to sidestep that, leave that in the past, but still maintain a thorniness that's present in that manga. You've obviously, you know, you've got Arsene Lupin who yanks the teeth out. Like he's just a full on bastard. Like you love to hate him pretty much. He's a very entertaining bastard, but you've, you're also like, fuck this dude. Um, there's a thorniness of the whole series. Like you've got the, this wacky adventures, you know, it's basically Lupin babies, but how many fucking children get guns pointed at them in this series? Like from from you've got the U.S. military. Also, God bless this series. This series is like, you know, hey, oh, fuck the U.S. military industrial complex. And I'm like, right on, man. Right on. All right. Um, but you've got like, you know, the U.S. military just straight up like it will murder the kids if I'm the whiskey pipe. You've got um, Jigen whipping out a revolver in a schoolyard and taking out some goons. Well, not taking out goons, but like but firing at their vehicles. And all the kids being like, that fucking kid bring a gun. You've got uh, Gaucho is willing to smoke a kid. Uh, Lupin II in disguise as Shinobu is full on ready to shoot Jigen at one point. You know, hey, you've got just protecting his child. Exactly. In fairness, he is trying to get his kid away from a nuclear blast. Like, you know, grab him a little leeway there. But you've got that. You've got. Um, Obviously, you got like, you know, you've got the kids trying to sneak in like a whiskey pipe and kind of get a drink. You got them smoking cigarettes. Jigen admits to he the fact that he has killed not one, but many people and that that's already haunted him. A lot of that just really stuck with me. Like, you know, it's not this sanitized. It doesn't quite play it safe. Like um, like Chris mentioned with part four, the, 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 there's a little it's a little spice in there. And I, I, I really appreciate that. I also really appreciate how it's it harkens back to older entries without just full on copying them. I mean, th there are some little Easter eggs that on they didn't bug me as much. I will admit they kind of bug me a little bit. And I'm, the only thing I'm referring to is that one little moment in episode two when Lupin does the and then pops up the feather. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> I remember Cagliostro. <laughs> I knew you See, would say that. That's the only moment that does it because the Yoko, the forehead kiss, I'm, I'll give that a pass because that's that that's kind of sweet. I don't know why I'll give it a pass. I'm being kind of hypocritical. I don't know why. Just that one particular is like, the, come on now. Don't. Hopefully it's not a little cute. We get it. We get it. Cagliostro. <laughs> I remember. But I love how it pulls from a, it pulls from a monkey punch story in general, like the character design of Lupin. In this is pulled from those monkey punch stories. Episode three takes a lot of inspiration from a chapter that's been mentioned, but it also a lot of the character designs feel so old school, which has been really refreshing after certain entries that came before this. Like I, I think of the guys on the, uh, the train in episode two, you know, the guy with the peg leg and the suspenders and they got like the kind of square rectangular faces and the chins and the hair. They, they feel like 
something akin to what you would see in part one, like with Yasuo Otsuka's character designs. Then episode three, you've got the goons that come to pick up uh, young Lupin are just straight up Miyazaki goons with the little bowler hats and everything. Well, and let's not forget that episode five features pretty much uh, Sonny Chiba. Yes, from uh, yeah. I forget which Battles Without Honored Humanity film it is. It's one of them. I've not seen all of them yet. I've only seen the first one. But I, I know that little nod's there, and that's that's so cool. But yeah, it, it, it it's kind of like a stew of a lot of different ingredients just kind of really mismatched together. And that's why, I, again, it really feels like a true celebration of the last 50 years, and specifically its first series and the manga it came from. Like it feels it pulls a lot from that while still doing its own thing. Because while those were like highly episodic, you've got this really strong through line of Lupin and Jigen's their bond, their relationship. It is it, it's the anchor of this series pretty much. Like like it's episodic, but that's the running through line. And it's really, really it's kind of beautiful to watch. Like you've got this, you've got Lupin who's like dying to be a free spirit. And you've got this kind of grounded Jigen who's obeying the rules for everyone. And they kind of you know, bring a balance to each other. You know, Lupin kind of brings out the adventure, the adventurous side of Jigen. Jigen kind of brings Lupin back to reality when he needs to. And they just kind of slowly realize that they need each other to, to move forward. And it's kind of sprinkled through all these moments. You know, you've got Lupin convincing him to not take orders anymore on the train. So the train episode is pretty consequential. You know what I mean? Cause you got the moment where, when Jigen finally turns on the other guys, giving him orders, you've got episode three with Lupin realizing that his grandpa's a fucking psychopath. <laughs> Speaking of that thorniness, the grandpa who's willing to just murder his 13 year old grandson to get his heart. If he needs it. And Albert's eat shit. old man. Eat shit, eat shit, yo, coot. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to see you in your retirement home. <laughs> and it builds up to episodes four and five, which are so damn good in regard to character writing, especially episode four. The running theme with uh, with Jigen and his lighter. I talked about this at length last time, so I won't go into it much now. But that is such a beautiful thematic through line. The first shot being that lighter, uh, Lupin Jigen, you know, they, they kind of have their rift. Uh, Jigen's lighter is not quite working as good. It's still kind of battered and beat up. And then by the end of it, he gets the spark in his life back. And that's just a beautiful, beautiful little moment. And then episode five. Again, that's another Cagliostro reference. But that one I'm willing to forgive because it kind of expands on that one line at the end of Cagliostro where Lupin's very first heist is stealing Jigen's heart. And again, I, I mentioned like it, that moment kind of really strikes a chord with me personally, because I don't like a lot of people view it like romantically. And I, I, I kind of see it that way, too. I can see it as platonic, you know, kind of what's the word I'm looking for. I do think it's framed as romantic, though. Mm-hmm. Like, like that seems to be the framing of it, and it, it, it kind of has like that's something that kind of like transcends any kind of label. It's kind of like their their bond being solidified, but it's also kind of a real meta moment for me, anyway. That like everyone has that moment where when you're watching Lupin the Third for the first time, I, I I honestly can't even quite pinpoint what moment it was for me. There is a moment when this franchise hooks you and steals your heart. Very true. And it's, it's, I, I don't know. Just that embodiment of the moment where he, knock, where he puts his hand on his chest, just kind of looks away, and his only, like, his next words are, you know, did I steal it? 
He's like, you know, yeah, I guess you did. And for me, it was I, I say I can't pinpoint. I can't pinpoint it. It is the night that I uh, went and ordered went in order, picked up that copy of the Castle of Cagliostra at Best Buy and watched that. And it brought back memories of the Sherlock Hound VHS tape I had, but also I'd like never seen these characters before. And even in Cagliostra, which isn't the best representation of them, it's still at its very core. It's still Lupin the Third in its essence. And I don't know that that moment with him and Jigen really just kind of means a lot to me because it I I as dumb as this is going to sound. I was Jigen at one point, just kind of like, you know, like, you know, eh, who's this kid? Who's, who's this goofball thief? What's he up to? Oh, man, I want to hang out with this guy for the rest of my life. Uh, <laughs> you know, I also love it's episode five where they're watching the Western right at the theater. Forgive me for being incredibly pretentious and a bit of my own asshole here. But like, I, I really, really, well, I, I latched on to a little moment in that. I don't know if it was the intention at all, but it very well could have been. I love when they jump on stage to recreate the Western. There is a specific thing in that shot where you've got Lupin Jigen, the little kids, like, like, you know, playing Western front, but you've got their really big shadows cast beside them. And I don't know, if, I'm trying to try to find a way to like articulate it well, but it kind of is like really symbolic of like, you know, these two are going to be doing this well into adulthood when they're grown up. They're going to be doing this, you know. They're going to be on the big screen themselves. I was about exactly, to say exactly. that. But, but literally and, you know, in the uh, the metatextual sense. I, I don't know. It's, like a foreshadowing almost. Yeah, it's like a foreshadowing. Like, you know, they're, they're small now, but they're going to they're going to still be these little, you know, goofballs together for, you know, well over half a century to come. And that's just a cool little moment. And so my lights that, that was a detail I noticed on this rewatch uh, specifically. And uh, I'll agree, it was it was very refreshing after. I'm not going to like single out part six. I'm talking about just in general. It, 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 it was it was refreshing to like have something harken back that far, because I feel like I feel like a lot of a lot of intrigues keep the essence of Lupin, but the manga kind of gets left behind in part one to some degree, especially like the earlier half of it gets kind of. Tossed to the wayside. I, I don't mean keep interrupting you here. I apologize. Uh, but I think it's because part two has become kind of the uh, baseline. Lupin the yes. Third Entry. Which, I mean, it's it's my favorite series. But, you know, I do think it's uh, not quite fair to what came before it. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. A, a lot of that gets left behind in part two shadow. Because, mm-hmm. like, especially, like, you know, th- that long stretch of the TV specials in the mid-2000s was just, like, using part two character designs. And they eventually devolved into not good versions of the part two character designs. God, the marshmallow head era. What a time that was. Fujiko should never look ugly, but nevertheless, <laughs> there we were for several years. <laughs> I don't know, it was just kind of refreshing to see it kind of recapture the original spirit of it. And and honestly, a version, the, the tone of the series that I've come to really. That's my preferred version of Lupin is is that that that, that early part one kind of mad cat feel of the manga especially you know, mad cat feel of part two as well but you know you get you get what you know i'm getting at i'll also echo uh one thing emma mentioned i i, I really really i mean th- i i like how this series kind of threads the uh the plot of yoko and gaucho together really well from episode one you got like you know the little threads but that, that's one thing ichiro okoshi's very good at even if part in part five i think the final art kind of stumbles a little bit 
But even in there, that also has little threads from the beginning, like, you know, Lupin being a hero in the eyes of Enzo and what that means. And that kind of, you know, the uh, you got the the rift between Lupin and Jigen, all those little threads kind of build up to a really a nice emotional catharsis in an ending that I think is kind of messy in some areas. And I think I think Okochi really upped his game in this with the uh, the payoff. It's a really roundabout way to get the point I was originally going for. But uh, I don't know. I, I really came around on uh, the fate of Yoko and what that means to Lupin. And Kazima's already said that there is specifically that line of dialogue when they're at the theater where Lupin says, you know, real life's not like, you know, it doesn't go like in real life like it does in the movies. Even though he says that, it's like he doesn't actually believe it yet or he kind of fools himself into thinking he can take control of that. And you've got Yoko and Gaucho who, unbeknownst to him, you know, he's got the very, the very teenager the very jealous, protective, oh, I must rescue her because Gaucho is obviously doing the cover of being the abusive boyfriend. And uh, I don't know. I, I think there's an interesting tragedy there where Lupin is thinking that he's going to, like, you know, steal the songstress away and save the day. But instead, he acts, you know, he not on purpose, but he accidentally steals like her only treasure in doing that. I think that that really has an effect on him. And also Yoko is a very interesting character. I like the, the kind of implication of the brain chemistry altering effect that Yoko has on Lupin because Yoko, she's a woman who knows goddamn well what she wants and she's going to get it. And she's going to go out on her own terms. No fucking wonder he became infatuated with Fujiko considering this happened at such a young age, because, you know, Gaucho, you know, she loses her only treasure, her tether to the world. And, you know, Lupin still being a teenager is like, well, you're free. And she's like, that's not, that's not the tether I meant. And I don't know, like I, I, I in, in like in, in another scenario, I can see her and Lupin being the, in the exact same situation. I, I, I really think that that's a really nice way of kind of, having that kind of Fuji and again it's it's outright in that one episode when she's schmoozing you know with the uh the the military general you'd be forgiven for thinking that's Fujiko in the red dress you know kind of seducing the, the general yeah I can see I, I do I, I can see where it comes from like you know she just dies to make him sad but I, I do think it is with more of a purpose than some things do it with even though like you know did she have to die that that that, that is a good question but I, I don't think it's, you know, entirely without merit. And I, I think it does pack kind of an emotional punch and a very important lesson learned for Lupin. So that was a really roundabout way of getting about saying that. I apologize. <laughs> Ramble away, my friend. That's what we're here for. Amen. But yeah, my, my opinions have changed a little bit. And by that, I mean... I don't know. When I watched the the uh, the remaining episodes, because I watched the first episode at the beginning of the week and then watched the remaining five last night, it just solidified that this is this is top this is top five, top three Lupin the Third media for me. I think as far as modern Lupin media goes, this is uh, this is my 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 little trinity going on is uh, the woman called Fujiko Mine, Lupin Zero, and Part Four are kind of my 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 holy trinity of modern Lupin. So I guess my opinions have changed in, in the fact that uh, that's a, that is a lame way to put it. My opinions have changed in the fact that I like it more. 
it made me happy even more this time. <laughs> so there's that. This is also going to be a, a comfort watch for me. I, I, I put off the rewatch just to kind of see how my opinions would change, like with some distance. And now th- this will be something I revisit a lot. And moving forward, I, I don't need a follow up to this. I don't need a direct sequel. However, I know very well that I forget I forget if it was Tabby Wolf or Vegetable Salt or Saute Salt. I don't know how you quite say it. Forgive me. On Twitter mentioned that in the commentary for Lupin Zero, one of the first things that both the uh, Shunsuke Takeuchi and Tasuka Hatanaka say, like, you know, please buy this. We want to do it like we want to do another one. And I think it would be a goddamn shame if they did not get to play Lupin and Jigen again in some capacity. So while I don't need a sequel, if TMS wants to do any kind of follow up with them in the lead, whether it be like them when they're still younger or adolescent, like, you know, more teenager or even like young, you know, kind of in their 20s, I don't care. I'll watch it. I'll take it happily. Um, uh, Maybe an adaptation of the chapters for Lupin's in college. Yes, something like that. Some, adapt something they haven't covered yet, like a, a, any period piece from the manga. Meeting you know, with Zenigata in high school. Yeah, anything like that. Tackle yeah. something like that. And honestly, if if there were to be a follow up, I, I don't need, I don't need young Fujiko. I don't need young Goemon. I would, however, not be averse to a young beat cop who really, really, really gets annoyed with this little shithead. Well, I mean, in in the manga, Lupin and Zenigata both attended the same university, so <laughs> that that that'd be pretty entertaining to see. <laughs> it was uh, it was something something. It's not one of my favorite arcs for a reason, but there's yeah, there's some merit to it. Um, I'm just thinking of what Emma said last year about like Lupin and Jigen at Woodstock '99. <laughs> they would start a riot. They would totally start a riot. We were the song break stuff and they're like challenge accepted. <laughs> and you have Bob Dylan, oh, what's this? <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't I don't need a sequel. And honestly, I, I think another series could be done that's not a direct follow-up. Just do more adventures with them younger. You don't have to like carry on the thread of Yoko or anything. But honestly, I, I think it would be a real, real shame. If uh, if Takauchi Hatanaka, Daisuke Sako, obviously uh, Yoshihide Otomo did the series, I think it would be a real shame if they didn't get to contribute again in some way, whether that be something in this kind of little canon timeline or another Lupin project that's completely different. Whatever it may be, I I, I think it would be a real shame if they didn't get another crack at something. So I, I, I'd like to see that. And let's not forget that this series uh, brought back... Uh, Toishi Furukawa as yes. Lupin the second, you know, the Fuma Lupin. He, mm-hmm. he if I remember well, back uh, at the time when Fuma um got out, he got hate mail that he was yes. displacing uh Yasuo Yamada that one time. And now, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of a franchise healing of some sort. He mm-hmm. becomes Lupin's dad. And like like Emma said, that would be a, a nice way to including back into the franchise in a new and inspired way as Lupin mm-hmm. the II. I, uh, I saw him tweet not too long ago about uh, his role as Lupin and how he's really appreciated Lupin's young. I'm very, I'm very much roughly translating, but he mentioned the fact that he like didn't include that. He didn't include Fumu Conspiracy on like his, uh, his resume for, for a certain period because of the hate mail 
And now it's something That's he's kind so of opening bad. up to. That's so upsetting. I know. It, it's I very, know. It's very upsetting. And, you know, you like to think that this kind of mentality was only just a singular American thing, a la, you know, the things that were happening in, with Star Wars and the pre in the prequel series. But to know that it was happening in Japan, like, ooh. I know. And I know I've seen American fans before, at least some, be like, I like to see a, a Japanese redub of it. I'm like, ah, absolutely not. Um, yeah, no, that, that, like, just leave it alone. They did, they, they did. They did not do a bad job. Oh, not not even much. close. Not in the slightest. And, you know, it was... I, I know we'll have to talk about that when we get to Fuma Conspiracy down the road. But again, it, was, it wasn't... It was an executive decision. It wasn't because mm-hmm. they didn't love the the, right. the the current cast at the time. It was literally a budget thing. And that's not the fault of the replacement actors. Mm-hmm. That's, just, that's just fucked up. Honestly, yeah. Uh... Fuma Conspiracy was my second exposure to Lupin III in Japanese, because mm-hmm. I think I had seen a part one on a bootleg DVD first, and then I had the 1994 uh, subtitle VHS of <laughs> Lupin III, the Fuma Conspiracy. So so for a while, that was kind of like, you know, the part one cast is obviously my first thought when it comes to the Japanese cast, but mm-hmm. the Fuma Conspiracy cast was second, and I it never bothered me at all. But yeah, yeah. Of course, I was still relatively new to the fandom at the time. So, mm-hmm. but still, I think I still think they did great. A lot better than English dub, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I watched it many years after being a fan. I watched it in 2019, and I I only switched to Japanese because I wasn't really digging the dub cast for some reason. And both me me and um, Lucy agreed it's not bad. You it it doesn't feel familiar because it's not the you know, it's not Yasuo Yamada or Kiyoshi Kobayashi, but it's not terrible. Yeah. And the thing I love about that dub is that they're all doing their own take on it. Exactly. No one's doing imitation. Toshio Furukawa is his Lupin. Uh, Banjo Ginga is his Jigen. I'm running a blank on the uh, the names of the other cast members. Let me pull it up. Yeah, yeah. Banjo Ginga is good Daisuke Jigen. Uh, Kaneto Shiozawa is his own Goemon. And uh, Mami Koyama is her own Fujiko. And every single one of those actors is... A, sorry, it's like Japanese Seiyu goes, they are fucking legends. So if anyone has criticisms for it, you know, sit down and shut the fuck up, peasant. Um, and apparently, speaking on that thread, I don't know quite what the source of it is. I need to look more into it. So take this with an, with an asterisk. But I have read in places that apparently uh, Yoshito Yasuhara was originally slated as the replace or considered for the replacement of Yasuo Yamada during the production of Farewell to, Nos- Farewell to Nostradamus. But obviously, you know, uh, Yamada's relationship with Karita led to him getting the role. So if that is true, that's also a really nice, sweet kind of tip of the hat to uh, to two, one former Lupin, one former one-time Lupin and a Lupin you never got to be. You kind of get both of them as grandfather, son, and then a new Lupin who's giving his own fresh take on it. I, that's that's just wonderful. And again, it makes me love this even more. And it feels, it's a love letter to the series. I don't mean that in the, you know, the stupid, winky, cute, fan service way. It's like a genuine, a genuine consideration for the history of the franchise. And like, you know, the aspects of it that aren't quite beloved and some that didn't quite happen. I don't know. That makes me, this makes me appreciate even more. So I think that kind of 
in general, wraps up my rambling thoughts on Lupin Zero one year later. Basically, it's I love it even more than I previously did. It is uh, it's teetering close to being top three for me. And I yeah that that I'm sorry, I said earlier and I kind of chickened out that that's what's changed. My what's changed is now I would just refer to this as peak Lupin. It is in that echelon for me. I remember uh, when I did this, unbeknownst to the listeners, we, we did our own little personal session where we did a tier ranking of the entire franchise. I think we all put Lupin Zero kind of in the A tier. Because like, you know, it's been a while since we watched it. This is this fucking S tier. This is S tier Lupin, peak Lupin for me. That's my final word on it one year later. Good shit. Got me all got, got my feelings. It got you in your feelings. That's, that's yeah. Right oh, field. also, speaking of getting me in feelings, but other types of feelings, uh, Shinobu. I need Shinobu back in the anime, please. Yes. <laughs> Dear God. Y'all know me. Y'all know my life. Yes, we do. You know, I feel like, uh, speaking of, the, of that, I feel like pointing out the scene in episode three where Lupin II whips off his disguise and then jumps into a convertible that has Lupin II as the license plate. Yes, so, like, one of the highlights of the whole thing for me. It's, it's so just like bad. it's like that apple not only fell right next to the tree, it rolled up up against it. <laughs> I remember you said that when he flirts with Shinobu. You're like his apple fell off the tree and then rolled up against it. Right. It's, oh, so good. Like Lupin the Second is amazing. He it's is. Just, I mean, because like I love the fact that they just like they just wrote Lupin the Third as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's, uh, so it's beautiful. That would be something I'd, I'd be interested to see because they they make reference to building up the Lupin the, the Lupin Empire, which is a little nod to both the manga and some nods in part one. I mean, I, I, I if we didn't get this, I, I don't need it. That would be something I'd be curious to see: is Lupin the second Shinobu and whatever the fuck the Lupin Empire is. That'd be kind of fascinating to see. I could totally see them doing like a uh, an adaptation of that manga chapter where Lupin takes a monkey punch through his hideout, but had it be with Lupin <laughs> the second instead. I could totally see them doing that. That would be delightful. I'm not sure how they make it work in anime, but it'd be fun to see. So yeah, that that about sums it up, I believe, for all of us. One year later, and uh, Lupin Zero shines as bright as it ever did. And makes me more excited for what's coming moving forward. Because as, as Guillaume mentioned a few times now, we it really is the unexpected era. Mm-hmm. Literally no idea what we're going to get next. Could be a, a film, maybe a TV special. I hope not. Uh, any type of limited series. <laughs> At this point, I would not be terribly surprised to see like a puppet show. Hey! <laughs> you know, it could happen at this point. And I'm, like saying, a, I'm here for it. Let's go. I still want my Loop on the Third Broadway musical. Just please <laughs> it could be that it could be part seven although i'm not going to get in the weeds with it part seven i would appreciate a new long porn tv series that does not have a part moniker on it and does not follow the continuity of the last three yes that means no more albert yata or anything i would just like a baseline loop on the third series that is episodic but that's just, I want it. If I don't get it, I'm not going to be upset. But I would like to see something that is a little more wild creatively. Let Just let a bunch of directors and writers in animation studios, go, let them go ham. 13 episodes. That might be a good idea for, you know, a, a bonus episode. 
like what oh. will we want the next Lupin third series to be? Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. All right, writing that down. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm going with what friend of the family Lucy said. Like, give me give me some horror Lupin. Give me some Mamoru Oshii directed mainly horror storyline Lupin. Give that motherfucker a movie, you <laughs> cowards. Yes. Yes, yes Queen. <laughs> Didn't we kind of do that at the end of part six though? We kind of did. Yeah, but not we should do it again. <laughs> we should do, okay, sorry. We should, we should do it again, but longer. <laughs> there's that, and then there's also me wanting Lupin in space, and then there's also me wanting Lupin in Mexico. Like, bring the Lupin gang to my motherland, please. I feel like both those things happened in part two at some point. <laughs> Everything happened in part two. Look, look, that's look, true. Look, that's true. That's one reason I love it so much. I can count how many times the Lupin gang have mentioned or been in Mexico, honestly, on in one on one hand, because that's that's how many. And it really hasn't happened. And I am, as a Mexicana, I'm sorely pissed. Mexico is ripe for treasure and stories. And I just want Lupin to fuck over some cartels. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, Everyone got quiet. <laughs> None of that. We just took it all in, you know. <laughs> just absorbing it. Well, and that also, some of us, it's very late, and some some more of us yes. are drunk. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, um, I, I'm, clearly, it gets us all excited for the future moving forward. It gets us just really happy about you know covering the franchise because I know you know. For me, the t- Lupin the 2020s has been a little bit of a roller coaster. There's been some highs. Oh, let me, let me rephrase it. There's been some fucking lows, and there's been some incredibly high highs. And the high highs far outshine any of the lows that we've gotten in the 2020s. And even then, the lows have been at least interesting. Yes, there's at least something. True. There's at least some merit to but, it. You know, it's like I said earlier. They're taking big swings. They may not always, you know, hit home runs, but and that I, I, I'll appreciate big swings. Yes. Over a 90-minute goddamn TV special about some special girl who really, really likes art or books or some <laughs> shit. And she learns the meaning of life and it's the f- fucking treasures the Freeman made along the way. Fuck <laughs> off. Look, I like that sometimes, okay? Aww. I like it sometimes. We have at <laughs> least have three 20... decades of TV specials yes. that cover that ground. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say more <laughs> 20 years, but yeah, because you know, there's just a few TV specials don't do it, but. That's true, that's yeah. true. But we have we, we have a plethora of TV specials. It's like the formula I, got so stale it's crumbling. And then Goodbye Partner was like, what if we do it again? And I'm like, you fuck off. <laughs> we'll try. And the prison of the past is like, yeah, we, okay, we get it. Uh, Decade until the, until the last 20 minutes and it starts to do it again. I really would like the TV specials to just be retired for a little bit. Let's just be, unless they need to make money, let us not. We got more interesting things money, to do. But... Uh, I really hate to be rushing this, but uh, it's 3 a.m. in Switzerland, right? It's, it's 4 a.m. in Switzerland. Oh, I'm sorry. I will be. I will be very accurate. It's 4:10 a.m. I don't know if I will sleep at all. Ten minutes away from greatness. Ooh. Hey, <laughs> hey yo. So yeah, that that about wraps it up. Well, again, we ain't legal in Switzerland, not really. So again, but that that's that that's one issue Lupin Zero has. It makes you want to talk on end about the franchise right. in general. So I think that speaks enough for the series itself so uh i think that about wraps up this episode of sideburns and cigarettes let's do our social media plugs while most social media platforms are 
currently crumbling. Guillaume, where can we find you on social media? Well, in the ruins of my sleeping cycle, but more uh, precisely, <laughs> I'm still uh, desperately on Twitter as William Barbe, but I will officially leave this platform at the end of the year. So you can mm. find me uh, under the same uh, handle at Blue Sky. You can find me on Mastodon. You can find me on Devant Art, where I post my uh, artworks uh, as Shin Red Deer, S H I N R E D D E A R. And I have a personal coffee where you can, you know, ask for commissions. And I think that wraps it up. I do have an Instagram as Guillaume Barbe, where I post my my photos because I I like taking pictures. Give Guillaume money, please. Yes, give Guillaume all the money, please. That Gee, way, he and I, I'm kidding. No, that way he and I can continue our travel shenanigans. Yes, I'll open a Swiss <laughs> bank account. I kid. <laughs> well, you don't have to walk too far. Ah, true. <laughs> Natalie, where can we find you on the social medias? Um, starting to find me everywhere, unfortunately, but the crumbliness that is Twitter at Cap Lee Helsing. Mainly more on Instagram because I send Guillaume and Emma endless reels <laughs> and because I like posting stories at Captive spelled out Lee Helsing. Heck, I posted a Fujiko cosplay because I went to a James Bond party. So, yeah, look at that. And then, of course, I'm also on Blue Sky at Captain Lee Helsing. No, I'm not posting my FetLife and no, I'm not posting my Facebook. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and the Turned Out video essay is going very good. And again, once I finally finish it and put it all together, I will post it. And actually, I asked Guillaume to join in as some narration voices. So with pleasure. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that because he's going to be reading for Puccini and Pavarotti and some other ones. Dio so. mio. <laughs> Work on that Italian boy. <laughs> this is the second time this year that Puccini's been referenced on this podcast. God bless him. <laughs> God bless the man. Like. <laughs> Chris, where can we find you across the social media? <clears throat> you can find me on Instagram and Newgrounds at Amazing Chris Godby. It's a G O D B E Y. My website is the Amazing Chris My personal Twitter is DR Furball. My art Twitter is Amazing Chris G. My blue sky is amazingchrisgodby.bsky.social. My webcomics can be found at weirdinacan and drawocoward.com. I'm also an occasional contributor to luponcentral.com. And the uh, as of this recording, my webcomic, Weird in a Can, is currently updating every uh, with the page every weekday. Yeah. Although by the time this episode releases, that story will probably be finished. But hey, maybe you can catch up. Woohoo! Yay! Emma, where can we find you? On social media. You can find me on Twitter at E-M-M-A-W-O-L-F-E-227. You can find me on Instagram at E-M-W-O-L-F-E-227. You can find me on Blue Sky at Emma Wolf 227 at B-S-K-Y dot social. Trying to think there's anything else. Don't think so. I think that's it. That's where you can find me if you want. If you so choose. <laughs> <laughs> and Drew, where can we find you and this podcast? 
Well, you can find me on Twitter while it exists at DrewHunter15. That's D-R-E-W-H-U-N-T-E-R-1-5. And you can also find me on Blue Sky at the same at. That's, you know, D-R-E-W-H-U-N-T-E-R-1-5.B-S-K-Y.Social. It's currently the only places where I'm actually active. I need to be more active on Blue Sky because Twitter is breaking (laughs) even worse than it already was. The podcast you can find across all social media, Twitter, Instagram, Threads, Mastodon, and I'm forgetting something, at Lupin Pod. That's L-U-P-I-N-P-O-D. And uh, if you want to find all of our social medias in one place, you can go to beacons.ai slash Pod. That's B-E-A-C-O-N-S dot A-I slash L-U-P-I-N-P-O-D. There you can find every single one of our social media links and a link to our Discord server, which everyone is welcome to join as long as you're over 18 years old. And it's going to stay that way. Sorry, not sorry. Agreed. Don't, I don't need them children. And, 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 and I don't need, I don't need, I don't need that Fuck mess. them kids. And 18 no, is being I, I generous. I don't hate children, but I don't need you in my Lupin server. I mean, you, you don't hate children. We just did a two hour podcast about them. <laughs> And uh, you can find our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, also Podbean. If you want to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, feel free to scroll down or scroll up and give us a... <laughs> Let's go make a joke. You usually like make a pun regarding the series. Going so make it give us a zero star review in honor of Lupin's hero. But please don't do that. <laughs> Love is zero in tennis. Huh? <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that zero is where everything starts. That's true. It'll also bring down our average. Ah, uh, yeah, you're right. Please give us five stars, please. <laughs> please, if you feel so inclined. Five point zero stars. Five, there you go. Hey. And with that, that is another episode of Cyber Cigarettes in the Bag. As of this recording, we've had a very busy month of November, so this will either release before or after the third annual holiday special. That remains to be seen. So you'll know for sure when this comes out. I don't know yet. You'll see. And uh, we'll continue covering part one as we near its end and venture towards the first live action entry in the Loop on the Third franchise, which we grow more closer to every single day. So... Thank you, Guillaume, again for joining us. You have joined us so many times this year, and it's been really nice. And I, not, not to curse your sleep schedule, but I hope this is a more frequent, frequent occurrence if your schedule allows. <laughs> I hope so too. It's in the future, at least, anyway. In the future, we'll see you in the future. But hey. it's been a real pleasure. Or, or you know, he could. Um, Come over here oh, and, come <laughs> and be on our sleep schedule levels. <laughs> One day. <laughs> hey. But on that note, Lupontic folks, we will see you again next time. And have a good night. Night night. Good night. Later, Butt Munch. <laughs> <laughs>